Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Welcome to 2019. Uh, Whether you're worshiping here or Sullivan, Bloomington, online, we are one big family looking forward to the new year. And of course, what is always at the forefront with the new year, right? New Year's resolutions. What do you think is the most popular New Year's resolution? Anybody? Go to the gym. Go to the gym. (laughs) Lose weight. (laughs) Get out of debt. Uh, get organized. Yeah, they all make the list. But interestingly, there is one New Year's resolution that has been at the top of the list for the last three years, including this year, and it is be a better person. Like, I can say yes and amen to that, right? So what's the plan for that? How, how do we become a better person? Well, trust me, Amazon is continuing to ring up the sales, even though Christmas is over. Uh, And I'm one of the ones who fill their coffers regularly because I am a bookworm. And so I just thought I'll take a a gander at some of the self-help books that are top sellers right now because this is where people go to learn to be a better person, right? So look at some of these titles. Maybe you've read some of these. Um, I've heard some of them are, are quite good, actually. Make Your Bed. Like, really? I could have written that. You know, <laughs> little things that can change your life and maybe the world. Declutter your mind. How to stop worrying, relieve anxiety, and eliminate negative thinking. That sounds good. Girl, wash your face. Stop believing the lies about who you are so you can become who you were meant to be. I think I've heard that's a good one. And last but not least, the 12 rules of life, an antidote to chaos. Whoa. Who has chaos in their life? A couple of my sons are actually reading this book right now, and it's quite challenging, some of the things they're sharing. All that to say, the resumes of these authors are quite impressive. I mean, degrees, PhDs, all kinds of letters after their name, their their careers, chancellor at a university, a CEO, a world-famous clinical psychologist. I mean, and I'm a sucker for for new books. You know, how many of you read the reviews when you go to buy a book? Okay, and have you found, like, there can be a hundred positive, like four or five-star reviews, and then, boom, you bump into that one-star review, and you're like, "Mm, I'm not buying the book. Anybody else? (laughs) Well, I have some good news for you, though. You don't have to buy another book to tell you how to be a better person in 2019. You don't have to spend any more money. You don't have to read any more reviews because you already own this book. And if you don't, you can actually download it for free on your phone. And this is the cool part. The author of this book, he is actually the smartest being in the universe Not just the university, the universe. And he's not just the CEO, he's actually the creator. And he is the all-loving, all-powerful, all-wise Father God who not only gives us his words and his instructions, he empowers us to be that better person. Wow. So why don't we read his book? Don't go getting all nervous on me. 
let's be honest. And I know many of you are Bible readers. We are a, a, a community of faith that encourages reading the Bible. But let, let's be honest, right? The Bible can sometimes be difficult to read. It can. I, I, I have found that. I mean, it's, it's basically 66 books, right, bound into one. And one's an Old Testament, one's a New Testament. You know, the Bible can be very confusing. It, it's full of a lot of names you can't pronounce. It, it's full of a lot of weird stuff. You know, talking donkeys, talking snakes, a sun that stops. Wait, I didn't think the sun moved. You know, like, there are some challenging things in the Bible, not to mention, you know, violence, and, you know, sexuality, and, I mean, contradictory things. I think that's one of the hard things for me. Not so much that, say, uh, different renditions of a story are contradictory, but that when I read what the Bible has to say, like, about me or, you know, what life is like as a Christian, it contradicts my own experience. And that can make reading the Bible difficult. It, now, I'm passionate about the Bible. I love the Bible, so don't hear that. But I want all of us, I want all of us to not only fall in love with reading the Bible, but to fall in love with relating to the author of the Bible. And as we begin 2019, we're launching it with this four-week uh, message series where we do want to inspire you and encourage you afresh to engage with the Bible, to engage with the God of the Bible, and really watch our lives become better, to become better people. So let's pray. Father, that's our desire, to continue to be all that you have desired for us to be and made possible for us to be. And we're so thankful you give us, you give us the Bible. We thank you for that. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit as we enter 2019 that open our hearts, open our eyes and our minds that we would have fresh energy and motivation to engage with the Bible, to engage with you, Lord, that we might be better people in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've called this series Inspired, God's Word, Then and Now. And so, bear with me because I'm basically going to give you a twofer today, two-in-one uh, message. I'm going to take the first part of the message and actually lay the foundations that will be important for the other three messages and just how we view the Bible. And then I'll, I'll go to the second half and actually share like how the Bible uh, has been so important for me as I've learned to talk with God or to pray with God, have a conversation with him. And so, uh, we're going to start out here looking at the title, Inspired, God's Word, Then and Now. And I'm going to share three concepts based on the, the sermon series title and break that down for you into some important concepts for our engaging afresh with the Bible. Okay, Inspired. That comes directly from a text written by the Apostle Paul to his co-worker Timothy, found in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You don't need to open there. It'll be on the screen because we're actually going to engage with the Passion Translation later, but this is ESV. And this is what Paul wrote. He said, All Scripture is breathed out. That word there is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. Hmm. Okay. All Scripture, Paul writes. Well, when Paul's writing this, <laughs> that could only refer to the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament, because guess what? He's in the process, actually, of writing the New Testament. <laughs> he doesn't know that. No, you see, all Scripture is breathed out by God, not dictated by God. And this is really important. He uses human beings where his Holy Spirit was breathing on them, but they were just writing. Paul's just in the, the uh, letter we're going to look at today. He's just writing a letter to the Philippians. He doesn't know he's writing the Bible. But you see, this is why it's so powerful for us because it's God breathing on human beings like you and me and sharing the truth that can set us free. And so all Scripture is breathed out by God using human beings who began to write. And then you know, we discovered, oh, that was actually God breathing on that. Okay, so all scripture is inspired by God, and he says it's profitable, absolutely. All scripture is profitable from beginning to end. It's profitable, and why is that? Well, it lets us know, like, what is good, what is bad, what is evil, what, you know, I need that. You know, we live in a world that's really crazy. It calls evil good and good evil, right? And the Bible is so valuable in, in training us to know good from evil, profitable for us, correcting our wrong thinking and behavior. And then, my favorite, training in righteousness. Now, Paul, of course, gets the revelation from Jesus. You know, under the new covenant, we live righteousness by faith. And this is the tremendous revelation of the gospel, that you and I become brand new people. We no longer mired in sin. All our sins are forgiven. We now have the righteousness of God in Christ. But I don't know about you. It takes a lot of training to live in the reality of that, doesn't it? And so the scripture is so valuable that way, training us how to live as the righteous sons and daughters that God has made us to be. So very, very valuable. To the end, what? We're equipped for every good work, whether that's work work or, you know, work in our home or work in our relationships. The Bible is so helpful in maturing us and equipping us, making us better people. So that's inspired. I hope that motivates you to, like, I want to engage with the Bible. Okay? Well, now let's go on to God's Word. God's Word. Do you know the Bible is not actually God's Word? Put your stones down, please. <laughs> now listen, this is important, actually. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And His name is Jesus. You see, the Bible is actually a revelation through the man Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ. He, the Bible is a revelation of the will of God, the way of God in Jesus. Jesus is the living word. Yes, you know, God breathed on humans to write the written word, but Jesus is the living word. Jesus actually said, you can study all of the scriptures and miss me. Now, the reason this is so important is because I've made this mistake, you know, uh, many of us were just raised this way, so, you know, the, it, it's, a, it's a legitimate, it's an honest mistake. But we have uh, viewed the Bible as just another 
self-help manual, right? I'm going to discern principles, I'm going to discover, you know, what it says, and then I'm going to go do it. How many of you ever made the statement, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it? Anybody ever made that? I have. I've preached that. I'm sorry. The Bible doesn't talk. There's a difference. God speaks. We're not in relationship with the book. We're in relationship with the person, and his name is Jesus. You see, and so when we reduce the Bible to the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, then it just becomes a self-help manual, right? Well, it's not a self-help manual. It's a revelation that our Lord Jesus Christ came and made it possible for yourself to die. For you to be crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, now empowered to live a brand new life, born again as a righteous son and daughter. See, that's a lot different from the self-help manual. And so the Bible reveals how do we live in this brand new life. You know, so many people, and this is good, I'm not against this, but, uh, you know, they, they uh, make a big deal out of proving that Jesus rose from the dead. We totally believe Jesus rose from the dead. You know, and trying to convince people that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you want to know a more convincing way that Jesus rose from the dead? Tell people that? Is that you rose from the dead. The old sinful, selfish you, me, we got, were crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised up. And when you see me, I'm reflecting the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. I'm showing you he is alive and well. So that's the difference. See, when you, you see the Bible is just a self-help manual, well... That's pretty much failure, you know? Love your enemies, uh, rejoice always, heal the sick. Doesn't usually work to try that by ourselves. But as a new creation filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we can change the world with Jesus. I need a guidebook for sure, and I need a guide, and his name is the Holy Spirit. So we want to motivate you not to read again out of guilt or duty, or even habit, as good as habit is, I'm all about habit, actually. But we really are asking the Holy Spirit to bring a fresh desire to not just read the Bible, but to relate to the God of the Bible, okay? To engage in conversation with him. You know, one of the most, uh, I would say, probably the biggest change in my life and my interaction with the Bible came when I learned to read the Bible relationally versus doctrinally. So I, I wasn't just reading the Bible to find out, well, okay, what's it say for me to do, for me to believe? Instead, I was reading the Bible to discover who he is and his love for me and how can I trust him more. And uh, not that doctrine isn't important. Doctrine is, is important. But I want to relate to the God of the Bible. Sometimes I, I look at it this way. It'd be like, okay, so you, you have a problem, a medical problem. Where do you go? You go to the doctor, Right? And the doctor diagnoses, and he gives you a prescription, and you either fill it or you, you do what he tells you to do. Hopefully, you go home, and, you know, you get better. I, I don't want to view the Bible doctrinally, or even God as a doctor who prescribes something and sends me on my way. I want that doctor to live in me and to continue to bring transformation to my life. And so reading the Bible, again, Doctrinally, relationally, we, know we need both. But first and foremost, we're relating to the God of the Bible. So that's, you know, God's word. 
Uh, so we've done inspired, God breathing, God's word, you know, revealed in Jesus, and of course, what he wrote for us. But now I want to look at the concept of then and now. And this is really important. And I know I'm throwing a lot at you. You're going to have to chew on it. I know. Uh, but you know what? It's time for all of us to get out of the high chair. Really? You know, spoon feeding, you know. I come on Sunday to get my, you know, my little pablum. No, I really want all of us to be able to get out of the high chair, to begin to feed ourselves, to, to relate to the God of the Bible. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. Let's go back to then and now. Maybe it's because I have too many babies in my family, right? <laughs> and more coming. Okay. Then and now. What do I mean by that? Okay, this is really important. Listen to this statement. You know, all of the Bible is written for us. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, all of the Bible is written for us. All 66 books. Only some of the Bible is written to us. Okay? So, how do we know when we're reading if it is just for us and it was written like back then or to us and it applies now? Okay, let's just take a, a short survey. I mean, how many of us are still trying to follow the Ten Commandments? Right? Those are good. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That was back then. That was for us. That was a, an example for us. But under the New Covenant, you know what was spoken to us and written to us? Jesus said, I give you only one command, a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. That's a heck of a lot harder than Ten Commandments. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. No. There's a lot in the Bible that is back then that we read, but do we obey it? I mean, are you, are you offering bloody sacrifices? Are you stoning your rebellious teen? Are you marrying multiple wives? I mean, all of that is part of back then in the Old Testament, right? Under the Old Covenant. And not to mention killing off a ton of enemies. So most of the then is under the Old Covenant. But interestingly, some of the then is even under the New Covenant, uh, uh, new, new, included in the New Testament, but still trying to work out what does that look like in our relationship with God. But it no longer applies to us. You know, take for instance, they were still arguing about offering meat to idols. When was the last time you did that? Well, how about circumcision? Well, a more contemporary issue might be oppression of slaves, oppression of women. And so they were still working those out. I'm just saying it's not so cut and dried, black and white. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. But there's definitely a then and then there is a now. We want to learn how to live in the now, right? We want to learn how to live in the now of the Scripture, which is basically the new covenant. And I would say some of our then is also seriously affected by how we were raised. So we read the Bible with a certain paradigm, right? So I was raised in a faith that said all miracles have passed. And so when I first began to read the Bible, I couldn't even see miracles. I was also raised in a faith that said God's usually angry with you. 
And you'll actually never know if you're saved until judgment day and you stand before Jesus and he'll let you know if you were good enough. Oh my goodness, that's like the opposite of the gospel. And so if you are mired in that kind of paradigm and you bring that to the Bible, that's dangerous. It's very hard to relate to a God like that. So, then, now, well, what I'm suggesting is we actually need a brand new pair of glasses. And of course, that's just a metaphor because glasses, you know, make things come into focus, you know, clear up uh, fuzziness, which I'd have to be wearing these if I hadn't enlarged this to 14-point type, which I did, and so I don't have to wear these. And, but glasses are a metaphor. We need a new pair of glasses. And, and what we've shared in the past couple years as we begin to read the scriptures differently and discern the then and the now, is we've talked about wearing sunglasses, S-O-N, to read the Bible through the lens of everything that Jesus has done and for us and in us and through us. And so when you wear sunglasses, your gospel glasses, it really changes how you read things. Well, I, I like that. I like that illustration. But as I was preparing, God gave me another one uh, for... Um, the year, and he said, I not only want you to wear the S-O-N glasses, I want you to put on 3D glasses. I've actually never worn these. I've never seen a movie in uh, 3D. I mean, I am lame, aren't I? I'm 68 years old today, and I've never seen a 3D movie. Hap, what's your problem? No, where is he? (laughs) But I do have an authority about these, and that's my son-in-law, Mike, who has seen many 3D movies. And he informed me that, you know, this is really important because if you don't wear these and you're watching a 3D movie, it can be fuzzy, it can be double, double images. That's why the two colors, I don't understand the, you know, the mechanics behind it. But you want to put on your glasses because the picture becomes vibrant, alive, three dimensions, right? What am I saying? I'm saying we need to put on our 3D glasses because we have a three-in-one gospel. We have a three-in-one deity. We have a brand new view. You see, when we put on our 3D glasses, which represent that triune gospel, we did a whole series on it, the gold of the gospel. If you didn't hear it, please. Because, you know, just mentioning it for 20 seconds isn't going to get it. But when we begin to approach the Bible with 3D glasses, that makes the now stand out. We go, oh my goodness, the now is all about the new, the new relationship I have with the Father because of the new covenant of grace sealed with the blood of Jesus. It's all about the new identity I have. I'm no longer a a sinner mired in sin. I'm a saint with the righteousness of Christ. I no longer am consumed with self and and making myself better. No, I'm a soldier filled with the Holy Spirit with a brand new destiny. That's what 3D glasses do. You see, because you're reading it from a 3D perspective, a three-in-one gospel perspective. I think the most exciting thing for me, and I know for my husband, Happy, what we'd have to say as we have been faithful over the past few years to wear our 3D glasses, the most exciting thing is Jesus is no longer fuzzy, out of focus, double image, contradictory. Is he good or not? No, Jesus is bigger, better, and more beautiful than ever. I say put on your 3D glasses, right? 
I know, that's corny. It's corny. It's just to help you remember that we need to look at the Bible differently. See, because we're bringing old paradigms then and now now. So the Bible is inspired. It's God-breathed, written by humans who experienced God, who encountered him, who now share this incredible truth of who he is and how we can know him and trust him. And I love, I love to apply this now just, you know, in a very practical way. So I'm going to share with you, and switch gears here, as I take the scriptures and I've learned through the years, I'm still learning. Please don't hear that I'm an expert. I'm just going to share with you the way that um, I have been inspired to talk with God through the scripture. I think many of us would say, I struggle hearing the voice of God. I think that's pretty common. We, we talk with people, pray with people a lot who say, I can't hear God's voice. You guys all talk about hearing him. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can hear him. He is speaking to you, and he's speaking to you personally, but he has spoken, and he longs for you to have a conversation with him through the scriptures. And I originally called this message Inspired to Pray, but that was too religious. I didn't think anybody would even come. And uh, so it's like, no, no, because prayer is talking with God. Prayer is having a conversation with God. And what better way than having it with the Bible? Because you know what? There's truth here. And it empowers us then to, oh, let that depression lift. Let that discouragement go because we're interacting with the God of the Bible and what he speaks to us. Just what he spoke even in this letter that we're going to look at right now for a few moments. So um, when I get ready to, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll model this in a few moments. Um, I, I like to you know, open my Bible. And for this series, and maybe for the whole year, we are actually recommending that we use the Passion Translation. How many of you are familiar with the Passion Translation? Or You can download it on version. You don't have to buy a hard copy. But this is the cool thing. It's a very good translation. It's very accurate. Uh, a linguist uh, did the translation. And his desire in doing this was that we would have fresh passion, not only for the scriptures, but for Jesus. I want fresh passion for Jesus. And so it is translated to like, encourage that, to inspire that. And uh, I, I know I have found, I like to switch up translations because you just kind of, oh, I've read that before. And then you can't hear God speak it to you. But when you read a fresh translation, it becomes alive, right? Okay, so um, you don't have to do that, but we're recommending it. And we're going to take you over these four weeks through the book of Philippians. And uh, there's four chapters, so this week is just chapter one. I mean, obviously, I'm not teaching the whole chapter, but we're going to encourage you to have a talk with God about Philippians, okay? And see what he has to say to you in this text. But when I go to read the, the Bible, I like to have a little bit of background. I think that's really good. You need context, okay? Okay, what is so exciting about Philippians is this is written by the Apostle Paul, and you discover it's actually written from a Roman prison. And yet, the word joy and rejoice is mentioned 18 to 20 times, depending, again, on what version you read. It's like, what? 
How, how is somebody in prison and the whole theme of the letter they're writing is rejoice? I, I, I want to hear about this. See, all of us read memoirs. We, we like memoirs, don't we? You should read the memoir of Apostle Paul. You know, in the book of Acts, it tells us he was this high-flying, religious, brilliant scholar who was, uh, he made it his mission to kill Christians in the name of God. And he was on his way to continue that mission when he meets Jesus. Oh. Trust me, Paul knew the scriptures. He didn't know Jesus. And when he met Jesus face to face, his whole life turned upside down. He ends up writing about two-thirds of the New Testament. And this letter that he's writing to the Philippians, he's writing to a church that he planted 10 years earlier. And you know how that church was planted? Again, I love this. Paul believes in miracles. Paul did miracles. Okay, he's my kind of guy. He's in touch with the God who does miracles. I want to know more. He, you know, he, he's uh, some other place, and he gets this vision, a guy way over in Greece, in Macedonia, which is where Philippi is, and in the vision, the guy says, come on over, preach the gospel to us. See, remember, people didn't have a Bible to read. They had the Hebrew scriptures. There was no Bible to read. So Paul and his posse travel to, to Philippi, and what do you know, the first thing, he has this massive demonic encounter gets him thrown into prison along with Silas, beaten, chained. Oh, he's still singing away. When there's a huge earthquake, the jailer gets saved, the jailer's family gets saved, a church is planted in Philippi. Don't you want to hear what this man has to say to the people in Philippi? I do. I want to know. Paul, you're in touch with God. You, you know how. I mean, now you're stuck in a prison cell and there's no earthquake. Don't you hate the contradictions of God? Like one time he does an earthquake and you escape and the next time you're in prison. How do, uh, Paul, how do you rejoice always? So he writes this letter and they're under heavy persecution. They don't have a Bible to read. They have one another filled with the living word. But they need to be reminded no, this is who God is. This is who you are. And then they need to know Paul is praying. He prays nonstop, which is why I love, I love the prayers of Paul. Why? I know they're the will of God. Don't know what to pray? Pray the prayers of Paul. He's talking with God about the things that God has revealed to him. And so the way that I would do this is just very simply, um, this is part of my time of just meeting with the Lord, by the way. Set a time, set a place. Because we don't set a time and place, we all know we won't do it. I mean, how many of you pick up the Bible during the middle of the day? Maybe you do. Not many. But we have a time and place. And, you know, I, I sit down with my coffee, of course, and the first thing I do is I say, come Holy Spirit. Who can read the Bible without the Holy Spirit? I can't. You see, he reveals truth. Most of all, he reveals Jesus. And so when you invite him into your reading, you are going to have a greater revelation of who Jesus is, his love for you, his, uh, what he's calling you to. So come, Holy Spirit, be my teacher. And then, of course, I you know, metaphorically put on my 3D glasses 
Because I don't know about you, I wake up forgetting I'm a saint. I wake up forgetting I'm a beloved, accepted daughter of the Almighty God. I wake up forgetting I'm filled with the Holy Spirit with an amazing destiny. Am I the only one who gets amnesia overnight? No. And that's why it's so important to re-engage with, no, wait a minute. Oh, yes, Paul says, may the blessings of divine grace and supernatural peace that flow from God, our wonderful Father and our Messiah, the Lord Jesus, be upon your lives. What? I want divine grace. Father, I want that supernatural peace. I, I want to know what's jamming the flow in my life right now that it's not flowing. Because I want it on my life and my family's life and my church family, I, the world. And so I engage with the scriptures in this way, having a conversation with God. And of course, Paul always tips us off because he says over and over again, my prayers, I pray, <laughs> I pray. <laughs> and so that gives us a clue. And I like to do what's called prayer a phrase. I turn his prayers, you know, into my own prayers. But just as we close here, let me just give you one example here of a prayer that he prays. He says, I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Father, that's what I want. I pray right now with great faith, your faith, Lord. I, I, I want to be fully convinced that you began this glorious work in all of us, and you will faithfully continue the process of maturing us and putting your finishing touches until we see Jesus face to face. It's not about us. It's about you. And so I can have a conversation with God, praying that prayer, not just for myself, but for others too. And you can continue that entire way through the whole book of Philippians because prayers are peppered all throughout. And I prayer phrase those back to him with great faith in my heart. This is the will of God. We've tried to make it easy for you. If you want a reading plan, we have, thanks to Dan Putman, uh, on our Vineyard app, which you can download at that text number or just go to the app store. And we have a Philippians reading plan you can follow along with for five days a week. You know, otherwise, that's fine. You, you, don't, you can do that. But most importantly, my heart's desire is that we all engage afresh with the God of the Scriptures. And that we use this week to talk to Jesus using Philippians 1. Praying back to him the prayers that Paul prayed. Having a conversation with God. To the end that what? We become a better person. Thanks, Father. You don't leave us without instruction. You don't leave us without your spirit. And I, you don't leave us without your grace, supernatural peace and grace to continue to grow, to be the people. Jesus has died and risen again for us to be. And so I thank you for that that we would have that fresh inspiration 
to meet with you through your word. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.